Hi everybody, JP here. Today's episode is special for a few reasons. First of all, having finished our latest mini-series on the subspecialties within neurosurgery, we're getting back to just regular old neurosurgery podcast episodes each Sunday. Second of all, today's guest is a good friend of ours, of myself and Dr. Wang, who we've been trying to get on the show for a while. And as you'll hear, we're having him on for a very special occasion and a big milestone in his career. And third of all, by happenstance, today we're posting on Father's Day. So I want to wish a very heartfelt happy Father's Day to any of the dads in our audience, as well as to my own father, Michael Coulson, down in Florida, and Dr. Wang, who is, of course, a father himself. In honor of all fathers today, I wanted to share a few of my favorite dad jokes that may relate to neurosurgery. So strap in, get through these with me, and then we'll get on with the show. First up, a simple one. If hippos went to medical school, where would they go? Of course, they would go to the hippo campus. My dad had to have brain surgery recently, and ahead of time in clinic, he asked his surgeon, Doctor, doctor, after this procedure, will I be able to play the piano? And his surgeon said, of course, of course you will. And my dad said, great, because I can't even play today. And you know why the neuron likes to sleep on the top bunk? Well, it wants to have a high resting potential. And finally, perhaps my favorite, what kind of fish performs brain surgery? Of course, the neurosturgeon. So with that, my friends, once more, happy Father's Day, and let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Ken Crandall. Now, I know that one of the big milestones of being a neurosurgeon is becoming board certified. Ken was a fellow with us. What year was it, Ken? 2016 to 2017. Right, and you just took your oral boards, right? Yes. Great. So it's fresh in your mind from last week, (laughs) and we do know that this is one of those um, life-changing episodes, and you passed, right? Congratulations. thank you. Fantastic. Thanks. Um, So tell us about the process leading up to this and how this, um, how you prepared for it. Sure. So the uh, oral boards, which are the final portion to becoming board certified after taking the written boards during residency and then going out into practice and practicing for a few years and then assembling, we have to assemble 125 cases now and submit them. And that's changed over the years to the point where now it's quite a bit of information that actually has to be submitted with uh, imaging and follow-up and it takes about 30 minutes per patient to submit each of these cases times 125 so if i had to do it over again i probably would have done it real time rather than waiting Mm. and then doing it all together as a bulk uh you know thing but um you do that and then they review your cases maybe they have some follow-up questions but then they basically approve you to take the oral boards now I want to back you up a little bit because yeah. we've had some guests on, senior neurosurgery faculty, mm-hmm. who've talked about the oral boards and the written boards. Sure. But they've given that sort of forty thousand foot view where they've 
you know, interviewed and, and administered the exam to thousands of people. But for you, you actually had to take the boards, right? right. So let's back up a little bit to when you were finishing residency and fellowship and moving into this phase. What was it like for you? You mean, what was it like for me becoming a new attending? Yeah, and then getting ready for the boards. So, I mean, you know, becoming a new attending is obviously a very stressful, you know, endeavor. Um, you don't really know what to expect. And, and while you're very well prepared by your mentors in residency and in fellowship, um, you know, it's it's totally different when you're out by yourself and and the experiences that you have and the responsibility that you have um, so you take that and and you feel over time that you figure out what you're doing and then the next year comes along and then you say, well, maybe I didn't know what I was doing that year and now I know what I'm doing and then the next year comes along and then you feel the same way and it's sort of a repetitive process. But then you get to the point where you need to submit you know, some of these cases that you have for the boards and and then you start to sort of reflect obviously upon upon those cases because you know that there's a chance that you're going to be examined on them and you start to think well did i really do the right thing for for this patient you know maybe this patient had a complication and of course everybody has complications right but um you know then you start to and and that's the one you know obviously complications bothered me when i was a resident and bothered me when i was a fellow but they bothered me incredibly more you know as an attending to the point where you know i would lose sleep i would feel terrible about myself um and especially if 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 one of my residents you know caused a complication you know because geez was i not supervising them maybe i should do the whole surgery you know that's the other complicating factor in all of this now i want to put a pin in that because the the whole mental and psychological question of residents involvement in your cases, which you'll have to answer for, is very interesting. I would love to unpack that. Thinking about it, not in terms of answering to your patient, which is a whole different ballpark, but answering to the, so to speak, authorities of neurosurgery. I will also mention, as Dr. Wang uh, alluded to before, we had prior episodes dealing with these with Dr. Alan Levy, who talked about preparing for the oral boards, and Dr. Carl Heilman, who talked about some of the written board processes and how those are changing. We'll point back to that for our listeners. But what I want to focus on right now is not the question which has the obvious answer. When you're new in practice and doing cases and seeing patients, the fact that these cases will be part of your boards, oh, is it on your mind when you're making treatment decisions? Obviously, yes. That's unavoidable, right? Mm -hmm. So the more interesting question, if you could address it, is do you think that was helpful or do you think it was hurting you during that process, maybe questioning too much what you were doing versus positive in the sense that, oh, it was making you adhere to guidelines and maybe being a little more safe, a little more cautious? I, I mean, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think that's a major you know, issue here, and it certainly was on my mind. And it's not just on my mind because you know, that's the reality of the situation, but it's because people talk about it. You know, People say, well, maybe you don't want to do the most experimental things, you know, mm -hmm. in neurosurgery until you've passed your boards, because if they select one of those cases to talk about, you may have to, to you know, discuss it, like SI joint fusion, which is, you know, something that's potentially a little bit controversial. Um, I didn't, I've done some of those cases. They weren't within the 125 cases that I submitted, but, you know, even if they were, you know, there's a chance that I would have potentially had to have, you know, defended those cases. And, you know, I've been, 
you know, I've passed the boards now for a week. And, uh, you know, a week ago is when I found out. And Congratulations. Thank you. And, and I have found myself in my office sort of saying to myself, oh, well, you know, this is now a different situation where, you know, now I'm not going to have to answer to the board for these things. Um, but I don't really feel like it's changed my judgment. If anything, the fact that I had to do that for, for you know, several years of my career probably did help me, you know, to some extent. Now, it's very interesting because we jumped right into it. But let's just reflect for our listeners out there that up until a couple years ago, the oral boards was simply a theoretical examination, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That you would just basically be given questions of theoretical cases. Mm-hmm. You describe the treatment, the management, the surgical intervention. But it wouldn't be any reflection on what you actually physically did, right? Right. And this is a new thing, right? Correct. Yeah. So there is still a piece, though, that is that older part, right, which is the didactic part, right? Correct. So, so the board now is three sections. Um, one section are your cases, where, they, where out of the 125 cases, they basically choose five to discuss. Um, another section is a general neurosurgery section, and um, the, the ABNS actually puts out a list of topics that are considered to be fair game for that section. And they're broad topics, um, but they're fair. You know, pediatrics is not really included in one of those topics. I think it's probably fair game for them to potentially ask you like a pediatric head trauma case or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But you're not gonna get some, you know, you're probably not gonna get like a myelomeningocele on the board now that you need to, to, to repair. That being said, I was nervous and I studied for everything, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Um, but I mean, you know, the general section, you know, I think was, is very fair. And then the third section um, is, is either a second general session or it is a subspecialty section. So you could do spine or you could do tumor or vascular or trauma, et cetera, or peds. Um, um, And, and there's a lot of debate uh, in um, um, amongst uh, people applying for the board as to whether or not you should just do two general sessions um, or whether you should do a subspecialty section if you're subspecialized. And you said you, you did, even though you're a spine surgeon, you did only general sections? I did two general sections. Yeah, explain that rationale. Uh, and it's so that's, interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, it feels, uh, you know, unusual to admit it because I do feel like my expertise within neurosurgery is spine surgery. Um, but, you know, the talk amongst other people who have taken the boards before me is that the, the, the general session is a bit more standardized in the sense that, you know, um, you know maybe it's a little bit, uh, there's less nuance to the general session, whereas the subspecialty sections, they could ask you anything, you know, about those subspecialties, and it's a little bit... Uh, you know, it's uh, what what one of my colleagues who who took the boards six months before I did, and he actually did a subspecialty section. You know, he told me that, in his opinion, the subspecialty section that he did was an order of magnitude more challenging than the general session. And so I talked to maybe ten different people and got their opinions, and most people said if you can do two general sessions, do two general sessions, which is what I did. Which felt like a cop-out to some extent because I'm a spine surgeon, but, you know, the goal is to pass the exam. (laughs) Of course. First thing is to pass. Right. Um, I wonder, you know, I 
As this academic year is coming to a close, I'm finishing my PGY2 year. So I have my written boards ahead of me. Uh-huh. I, of course, have the oral boards after that. Um, the new neuroanatomy exam is in the recent past, as well as all the USMLE step, what have you. Is there ever a point where maybe now in the past week for you, you feel like, ah, finally I'm done being evaluated. Finally, I'm done with tests. How does that feel? Has it sunk in yet? It has. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that has sunk in over the past week, you know, is that, you know, obviously there's a, a maintenance of certification, which that even that has evolved over over the years. And, and it used to involve a test and now it doesn't involve it like a, a test anymore. Um, but, you know, the fact that, you know, after everything that that we've done for essentially the majority of my life so far has been taking tests and and to finally be at the point where there are no more board exams no more oral exams i mean that's that's a very it's a big relief i mean that's that's really what it is and unless i were to choose to get some sort of other advanced degree like an mba or something like that which as of right now i have no you know plan to um, it does feel good to be to be done. Now, coming into this, you took the Goodman course, right? I did. Okay, so the the AAS Goodman course was originally innovated by doc, the late Dr. Goodman, who actually died of a GBM, I think. Oh wow! And um, it's now run by Dr. Alan Levy, who's mm-hmm. been a friend of the podcast and is my boss. So. I mean, I just remember doing the Goodman course, um, and it was like this crucible of all these nervous neurosurgeons, and you're not used to seeing that, right? In a room, hundreds of us, getting ready to take this oral exam, everybody like feeling very uncomfortable. Tell us what that experience is like, and, and does that bond you together, or does it make things even more aggravating? So my Goodman experience was very unique because during, it was due to COVID, the Goodman course was virtual. So I took it last fall in October, and it, it was virtual, so we, we were all doing it via Zoom. Um, but it was still uh, very similar to the format that you experience where there's the hot seat and, you know, there's... Describe the hot seat for the so, so So essentially, you know, the, the course is broken down into several, you know, sections. So there's like a two-hour, an hour lecture on tumors, an hour lecture on vascular, et cetera. And, during that section, so say there's an hour lecture on vascular surgery, there'll be maybe you know four or five people that are put on the hot seat, which basically means for that you know for those ten minutes or or, or whatever you're uh, basically being examined by the person who's giving that lecture, and it's and it's basically an the entire course is an oral board format. So basically, you know, it's just like the oral boards where you're sitting there and everybody's listening to everybody in the entire course is listening to you and you know they show a you know they give a presentation for a patient patient with a sub you know subarachnoid hemorrhage and and then you have to ask some questions and then they ask you what you want to do and 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 everything and so yeah that's very intimidating it's intimidating because you know on the board you're going to be doing it alone with your examiners here everybody else is listening to you the good news is is that you listen to everybody else mess up as well so you can sort of you know uh you know kind of compare your to other people and I've seen people who you know otherwise seem very confident capable and competent um, completely freeze in the hot seat and that's not even the real exam that's just in front of your peers and these people are like deer in the headlights 
they can't even answer like the Glasgow coma score. Like what is the GCS? Like how do you break it down? And then they just like the deer in headlights and they freeze, right? I think that's the most intimidating thing about the board exam. And for me, the board exam was the most stressful thing that I've ever done in my entire life. In your whole life? I think so, yeah. Not the MCATs, not no. the written boards, no. not... I was more stressed out for this exam than, than pretty much anything else, including like surgery, you know, as an <laughs> attending. Yeah. And complex, you know, surgeries that I've done. Is it intentionally attending. that way? Do you think it's intentionally made that way? I think it is, you know, to some extent, but I think, you know, I think that it's part of it is that we all know people that have failed. We all know good people that have failed. I mean, the failure rate is 15 to 20 percent, which, you know, is fairly high. And and so, you know, it's it's the fear of failure. It's the fear of, you know, they're going to ask you that one thing that you didn't study, because theoretically, the board exam could encompass anything within neurosurgery. Yeah. Now, that, that's very interesting to me that you were so intimidated because for our listeners at home, uh, Dr. Crandall here is actually an expert at being in the hot seat. If you, uh, if you like me, on your Friday nights, tune into the NREF lecture series on YouTube, you'll find a lecture by uh, Dr. David Conquo and a resident at the time, Dr. Ken Crandall, was actually in the audience, put on the hot seat, and while I was watching this video, I sent him a picture of himself answering a question. And he replies, did I get it right? Did you like my answer? And you did, of course. But I find it very interesting that you, you did feel so intimidated through this process. My boss, Dr. Rich Byrne, who's part of the board's process, told me that he at least goes out of his way to try and make the examinee not feel so intimidated, to feel comfortable. And in particular, he said, that this year being virtual, being over Zoom, he felt like many people did feel more comfortable because at least you're not in the room staring down the seat of authority. Do you think that helped you at all? I think it was helpful. I was sitting in my own office. You know, I, I, I purposefully went to, I could have done it from home, but I purposefully went to work because I was worried that my internet was going to go out in the <laughs> middle of, or I was going to lose power or something like that. Right when um, you didn't know the answer to something, right? Oh, right, gosh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I think that there are, there are some examiners that are very intimidating, and I think that there are others that aren't. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, as the exam went on, I felt more comfortable, you know, as I realized that I knew the material, as I realized that, you know, the examiners were being, you know, fairly friendly and, you know, I felt much better about it. It was sort of, uh, the day or two leading up to it and the fact that my exam, happened to you know not start until 6 p.m so ah. it was the whole day like leading up to it you know that that was i think the most the the most difficult part so does the newly board minted ken crandall <laughs> who's six years in the practice right four years four years practice. i'm sorry four yeah. years in the practice have advice to offer to folks of all ages. Remember, some of our listeners, they're in college, some are in medical school, some are residents, some are attending, some are senior attendings. Some, some words of advice as someone who's just gone through, run through this gauntlet mm -hmm. for the people listening out there, how to prepare your mind or your soul, your heart for this. <laughs> 
I mean, that's a tough question because everybody's different and everybody learns and, and prepares differently. You know, I think that for the younger people, you know, I think it's just be open-minded, you know, find a mentor, find somebody that you can, you know, s learn from and seek advice from, um, you know, as you, as you progress through, through the years and through training and as you progress through residency, you know, you're going to develop your own technique and your own way of, of doing things. Um, you know, but, and you're going to take little bits and pieces, you know, from, from everybody that you learn from, like, you know, there's, there's things that I do that I learned from you, Mike, and, you know, there's things that, you know, I, I take from Dr. Levy and Dr. Green and, you know, and people from my residency and, and, you know, that's who I am today. I'm a combination of, of everybody. And then once you get out into practice, you know, it's, it's really about being humble and realizing that you can always be a better surgeon and a better physician um, and not be, being too cocky and, and thinking that you know everything and you know always being learning and then using the board experience to sort of check yourself and and you know reflect on the cases that you've done um, and and also to use it to learn you know some of the areas of neurosurgery that you had you know, that it's been a long time since, you know, I feel like my neurosurgery knowledge now is, you know, better than it was when I graduated from residency because I spent, you know, months, you know, reading and, and reviewing things and, and things make more sense to you uh, the older you get and the more experience you have. Well, Ken, you know, when, when I got to meet you and, and get to know you the year of your fellowship when I was still a medical student in Miami, I had a wonderful time working with you, getting to know you and now as I progress through residency and think back on all the people I knew and worked with then, it just becomes more apparent um, all the good things that you exposed me to and, and how glad I was to get that time to get to know you. So since you've been a friend of ours for so long, we've been wanting to have you on the show since we first started. I can't think of a better occasion to do so, both to share your recent wisdom and experiences, but also just to celebrate and congratulate you on passing your role board. Well, thanks so, a lot. I congrats. appreciate that. It, it means a lot. And, you know, I've been a, a fan of the Neurosurgery Podcast now since you guys started it, and it's an honor to be on here.